0: I really had an epiphany of, ah, okay, this is how you can grow a business without working 60, 80 hours a week. And actually you can grow a business very hands-off.
1: Welcome to the UpFlip podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing Wise Coding's founder, Brandon Vaughn. Brandon had a unique approach to starting his business and it's paid off for him in a big way. The business was just started in 2021 and it's already generating nearly half a million dollars in revenue every month. Brandon's expertise with business systems, marketing and hiring are the secret to this phenomenal growth. Today you'll hear his tips in each of those areas and how he's leveraged that knowledge to build a thriving business. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you Alex, it's great to be here. To get things started, can you give us a little bit of an overview of the the when and why you got Wise Coding started? Yeah. So I, I
0: decided to launch wise coatings in January of 2021. I, in the past have built a service company. I had a company called all clean that did pressure washing. I built that from zero to $500,000 a month over the course of about four and a half years and sold that in 2018, always wanted to get back into another service business, but wanted to document the whole journey of it along the way for other entrepreneurs. So it kind of started out as this you know, idea to, to a YouTube channel, you know, start, start something and document the whole process from picking the business name, putting together the website, hiring the first employees, and just kind of making it this public, you know, lens into starting
1: uh, a business from scratch. And so, so I picked wise coatings and off we went. And why did you choose the, the floor coding niche for this particular experiment? Do you think that the, the way you got this business off the ground would work in other niches? <laughs> Great
0: question. I picked it because I had no experience in it. <laughs> I went uh, and actually just you know took a look at several different service businesses, and there's something really satisfying about the work of going into a garage that looks nasty and has oil stains and cracks, and then like leaving it looking like absolutely beautiful. That part appealed to me on just the aesthetic side, but the other reason why is uh, the the Business model itself has really great, gross margins, and you could pay technicians really well. And so that was attractive to me as opposed to just like a standard painting business. But the way that I started this business, absolutely would work in other niches. It's the exact same way that I grew my exterior cleaning company. It's the same way that, you know, I've coached other entrepreneurs and growing their businesses, which is a marketing and systems and people approach, as opposed to going out and being the person on the tools actually building out some frameworks before you begin.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the the pressure washing business as well before you got to Wise Coatings. What what did that experience teach you? What did you learn from growing that business that influenced how you got started with Wise Coatings? I didn't go to college but I got a bachelor's degree
0: in pain and a PhD in suffering <laughs> going through uh, <laughs> growing that business. It was uh, it was really really tough. I made just about At least I believe every single mistake you could make in growing a service business. It was really hard. I had some good mentors and coaches along the way that really kind of helped me understand working on the business, not just working in the business, which was a a shift for me because my dad was an owner-operator window cleaner for 33 years, and he was on the tools doing the work on the ladder every single day with you know zero to maybe one part-time employee, and that was kind of how I grew up, you know, with that entrepreneur mindset. So it it was tough. to break that cycle but when i broke it i really had an epiphany of ah okay this is how you can grow a business without working 60 80 hours a week and actually you can grow a business very hands off and so that's what kind of led me to you know start over with all
1: that information that i had gained so once you once you had chosen the floor coating niche for wise coatings what market research were you doing before you actually got the business running and how did that influence the the early planning and marketing
0: yeah, great question. So pretty much what I started with was coming up with the brand and trying to have a really compelling brand. I did lots of market research into, you know, what trademark availability was there, what domains were available, you know, what state and national registries for business names. That that's kind of like an important component. But then the other part that I really spent a lot of time thinking is how can Wise Codings be different? How can like what's going to be our real competitive edge? that other floor coatings businesses aren't focused on. You know, what's that hook for when we talk to a customer and they're like, wow, we really want to work with you because of this. And so, you know, we, we made some really strategic decisions on, you know, those differentiators. And that was a big part of that early research. And then of course, going and looking at other floor coatings companies, seeing what they were doing, you know, looking at some competitors, looking at some, you know, some other things, not with the desire to copy them, but with the desire to do something different. And then of course, going to homeowners directly and really kind of polling them and getting a good sense of what they
1: would be looking for. That really informed most of our decisions on how we wanted to run the business. And what were some of those, those startup costs? Like what was the initial investment to get Wise Coatings off the ground and what are some of those main expenses for opening that if someone's looking into following in your footsteps that they should be planning for.
0: So, we set aside a budget of 15 grand to do everything and we spent a huge chunk of that on marketing. So, going out and hiring a professional brand designer and, you know, paying him several thousand dollars to create a, a you know, a really epic brand and logo and vehicle wraps and, uh, you know, going out and getting someone to build us a really epic website so we could get a really Strong di- digital presence, to where people would show up and they'd be like, "Wow, this company knows what they're doing." You know, even though we just started the week before. And then, of course, the equipment is the other big expense. A floor grinder, you know, can cost brand new twenty five thousand dollars. And so, we had to kind of, you know, leverage leasing of vehicles and getting a small, you know, loan out at the beginning so that we could keep our cash flow low and we could kind of roll into it with very positive cash flow and not having to go buy assets cash. Those are the really the the biggest expenses. And then of course, you know, first months ad spent. So we advertise a lot on Facebook and, you know, pretty much from day one would spend anywhere between three and five grand a month in Facebook ads uh, to be able to start getting work coming in.
1: And how long did it take to to recoup that investment? And I guess the the similar related question is how quickly did the business become profitable? So the business was profitable pretty much
0: the very first month. And then the second month, we had kind of a disastrous job that really hit us hard, (laughs) And in my, that YouTube episode, I call it hell week because it was, uh, we literally survived with $50 left in our bank account, but by, by month four, we were doing a hundred thousand dollars a month and, uh, at a 30% net profit. So it, you know, it really recouped a lot of that. We were able to pay off a lot of those loans that we had you know initially started out with, and we're really able to kind of fund that cash into getting another vehicle on the road. So it, it you know, really became
1: profitable pretty quickly. How do those numbers compare to today? Like what is average monthly revenue now and profit margins? Have the profit margins changed
0: in that time? So average monthly revenue now between our eight locations, you know, total is about 450 to $500,000 a month. And the profit margins we typically look for is anywhere between, you know, a 15 to 25% net. The, The margins on that have been probably closer to the 15% side because, you know, we've opened up eight locations since we launched in January of 2021. And, you know, of course uh, that, that really can kind of be a a kick to the profitability of the business just with a fast growth curve.
1: A quick reminder to our listeners about the upflip YouTube channel, where you can hear more stories of how new business owners built their companies. You can find that at youtube.com slash upflip. Brandon, one of the things that's, that's really interesting about, about what you've done with Wise Codings comes from the fact that it is not your first business that you've built. So with that kind of multi-business expertise, what systems does a business need to have in place before it begins and why are those so crucial?
0: So the four systems or four departments that I look at to systemize create an acronym called MAPS. So we have the marketing department of getting leads coming in, the admin department of uh, scheduling, dispatching, answering phones, doing back-end office work. The production department is the vehicles, the people, the equipment, the inventory to go out and actually complete the work. And the sales is the act of actually converting all those marketing leads into you know real paying jobs. So every single one of those four departments... And then the executive department that oversees everything and looks at business forecasts and budgeting and financials, all of those departments have systems that are required to put in place. So a lot of the systems that I was really looking at at the very beginning, you know, I was able to literally just copy and paste those into our Google shared drives and utilize those same job descriptions and and documents and things that we have in our Conquer program, uh, which is our business coaching program. And just like put that in and get that going from day one. So, you know, they're, they're crucial because without it, everything goes off the rails. And especially in building a business where, you know, it's largely absentee, you have to be able to put those things in place so that that way your employees don't come to you every day and say,
1: Hey boss, you know, what, what do I got to do next? It's just all documented there for them. And how do you, how do you develop those systems and get them put into place? the definition that i like to have
0: for a system is a documented process on how to do something important in your business so but that keyword is documented so one of the easiest you know ways is while you're doing the thing document it you know if you're training a technician on how to coat a floor and roll it out like give them your cell phone and say, okay, John, I want you to go ahead and just hit record and record me doing this. And then now you're training your employee while you're creating a business system. And for future hires, that. Future hire can watch that video as a good starting point in your training system, and you know just do that repeatedly. When you answer a phone call, hit the record button on your computer and record how you answer the phone and how you talk to customers. You just have to get it out of the
1: person's head on how to do something and get it into some kind of a documented format. How would you describe what Wise Coding's brand identity and how did you build and promote that when you first got started?
0: Our brand identity, we definitely wanted to it to feel very uh, professional. To where people understood that, wow, these people really know what we're doing. We wanted to focus a lot on education to really educate them on, you know, all the different aspects of it. We wanted to have a big certification process for all of our technicians that they really clearly understood that the people that are coming to their homes have gone through an extensive training process to come in and do their work. And we wanted to, you know, kind of show that Uh, we have a huge elephant as part of our brand identity And, you know, when you think of the, you know, the wise elephant, the elephant, you know, has a great memory and, you know, they're strong, they're durable, they're tough. When you think about, you know, how bulletproof, right, you know, like this big, huge elephant is and how tough their skin is, we kind of wrapped all that into the the brand story and brand identity. Plus, we partnered up with the World Wildlife Fund, I'm sorry, the World Wildlife Fund to every floor that we did, we'd actually adopt a baby elephant in our customer's uh, name. So at the end of the job, a customer would get a little picture of the baby elephant that they adopted and information on that. And that went to support like conservation efforts. So people feel good about supporting a company that gives back and, you know, really is involved in the bigger picture. So that, you know, there's a lot of intention that kind of went into that.
1: I'm curious how that, how that partnership like came about, how that sort of additional layer to the brand identity came to be. Could you kind of tell us the the thought process between like, did the elephant in the logo come first or... Or did the the idea there come? What came first?
0: Yeah, the, so the logo, the logo and the idea came first. Um, you know, I, I'm a font. Fa- I'm a, a fan of uh, you know mascot logos for service companies. Myself personally, um, I feel like they're a little bit more approachable. Um, and so when we came up with the elephant, we said man, it'd be really cool since elephants are endangered species, you know, ways that we could tie that brand back to actually giving back. And so that's what kind of led us to, you know, this epiphany that how epic would it be if we could adopt baby elephants and like our customers names, like every floor, like a baby elephant could, you know, get sponsored. Like how cool would that be? And so, you know, we contacted the WWF, we talked about them, uh, talked about the whole process with them and they were excited. And so that
1: partnership began. Incredible. So you've, you've built this brand identity to get started. What then is the marketing strategy to, to actually attract customers to a new floor coding business?
0: So for us, what we found works extremely well is Facebook. Advertising on Facebook is one, one of our top channels. We have our cost per leads, our customer acquisition costs, our average customer values really, really well dialed in on that channel. And those metrics are really important to look at for any marketing strategies, you know, so you can compare and say, Hey, what's effective? What's not effective. If we change up the offer, we change up the copy, we change up the hook, you know, how much more effective will it be or how less effective will it be? Direct mail has been really good for us. Of course, we, you know, use Google and we use other channels as well. And really what we do is we have a mad scientist marketing budget every month as well for us to just test out crazy ideas. Because if you're just doing the same thing every single month, you know you're not innovating. You're not looking at other channels. It's really going to kind of fall flat. So right now we're you know doing a lot more experimentation with TikTok and seeing some good early results there. So we just always want to kind
1: of be experimenting with new channels to kind of uh, play with. You mentioned at at startup you were you were kind of spending several thousand dollars in that first month on on advertising. And what does that look like now? What's the the typical month? on the ad spend and where are you spending it
0: we have budgeted to pretty much spend anywhere between eight and ten percent of our total gross revenue in marketing so if we are anticipating doing a hundred thousand dollars a month we knew hey we have to spend ten grand as quickly as possible so that's why in those first four months we ramped up from spending a few thousand bucks to ten thousand dollars and then that's what got us that hundred you know thousand dollars in sales and that trend has remained very, very predictable. So, you know, currently for us to do $500,000 in, in a given month, we're spending close to forty dollars to $50,000 in marketing across
1: our different channels. Obviously, those numbers can add up pretty quickly. When a business is starting out, and, and you mentioned, you know, starting below that number necessarily at the, at the beginning there, are there any like low cost or free marketing strategies that a new business should also be deploying when they're, when they're on that limited budget?
0: Yes, absolutely. So for limited budgets or free marketing things, there's no such thing as free marketing. It's just, what does it cost? Instead of costing money, it'll cost time. And, you know, what I call bog marketing, boots on the ground marketing, you know, going and knocking on doors, going and talking to customers, going, you know, those things cost time. And it depends on what you value your time at. If your time is free and you're paying yourself zero dollars an hour and you're first getting started, well, then you could say that's that's pretty cheap. But you know, at some point, transitioning over to a predictable marketing channel that's not dependent upon your time since your time is finite is really, really important. I see a lot of business owners fall in the hustle trap where they just get out there and they hustle and they grind and they do this. And then before they know it, they hit their their cap of what they're able to do cuz not only are they selling but they're also doing the work and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing the admin they're doing the payroll and they're doing the, the scheduling it just ends up being burnt out very quickly so the the more quickly you can transition your marketing to you know a, a spend That you can dial in your customer acquisition costs, the better. But, you know, lots of other things that you know you can do. One of the biggest things that we did was we contacted every other service business and type in the area and just introduced ourselves. And, you know, I'd call up someone and say, Hey, my name is Brandon with Weiss Coatings. I own a floor coatings company. I saw that you do painting. We're looking for painters because our customers ask us if we do painting. And we say, No, we don't. Can you tell me a little more about your business? And then they're happy to tell everything about their company. And at the end of it, You know, we're like, man, this is great. We should totally meet up and have lunch and change business cards. And you can kind of develop a little referral network with other home service business owners to refer work to you and kind of build that up. And so, you know, at the beginning, when we first started, we spent a lot of time doing that. So we could build up some other referral sources. And that's, that's free, cost your time, right? But very powerful marketing
1: strategy. Are there any uh, uh, tools or software that you utilize for marketing and, and how do those help grow the business and, and why do you recommend that particular tool or software?
0: Yes. So our primary CRM customer relationship management software that we use is called House Call Pro. And uh, that, that's a really big one that, that we use. We also use QuickBooks, of course, for our bookkeeping and you know uh, expense tracking. We use QuickBooks Time for our time tracking for all of our technicians, so we don't have to manually track any of that stuff. We use Sortly for our inventory management. We use Fleetio for fleet management. We used godunzo.com for our marketing automation and pipeline tool. So every job that we finish, all the customers automatically get postcard sequences of all their all their neighbors. And, you know, automated thank you brownies with their names get printed on it uh, at the end of every job, you know, to kind of build out that customer experience, asking them for referrals, etc. And then, you know, we we also use a VoIP system called Vonage. Uh, that's our call answering center instead of it ringing to your personal cell phone, like get a professional business line as well. So we're a very technology centric company. And really, that's kind of a key. Right? It's, it's hard to have a piece of software not give you a positive return on your investments you know unless you're just not leveraging it somehow so I uh, highly recommend those platforms
1: in addition to the uh, you know the, the revenue growth the, the the location growth comes with employee growth so I'm curious how many employees did you have on day one and, and how many do you have today
0: yeah great question so from day one what we decided to do was for me not to answer any phone calls from customers go out and do any in-person sales go out and do any of the physical work at all. So from day one, I hired three employees, full-time salesperson and two full-time technicians. And my full-time salesperson, we just had the Vonage phone uh, directly ring to his cell phone. So he would answer the phone as wise coatings. He would get the leads. He would enter them into the CRM. He'd go out, he'd close them and he'd schedule them. He ran out of time really quickly. So within the first like two months, we hired a full time office manager to then take over the phones and just page out leads and page out sales to him and then actually manage the, you know, the scheduling and all the other stuff that was going on. So within month three, I think we had 70 employees. And, um, you know, now to date, we have, you know, upwards of 40 employees right
1: now across our different locations. And, you know, thinking about the, the time period at which you were growing, you know, one of the, the major headlines in business news has just been about how difficult it has been to get people hired and attract reliable and high quality employees. So so how have you done it? What tips do you have to find high quality applicants and, and get them on the team? Oh man, Alex, we could literally devote the whole
0: rest of the podcast to this one topic. (laughs) I get really fired up on this. I travel nationally and speak on this very topic. The short answer, the most powerful answer is, is marketing. You know, what's a, what's a tougher sell convincing a customer to get their floor coated, or convincing another human being that they should spend more time with you than they spend at home during their waking hours with their family to, you know, come work for you. It's, it's like a way tougher sell. But most business owners don't think of that side of it as a true marketing game. And it is. You have, just like you track your cost per lead, your uh, cost per acquisition, your customer acquisition costs, your employees are your internal customers. And you have to, you know, uh, test out different subjects and hooks and videos and ad channels and, you know, have tracking links and, and identify, you know, what's my customer acquisition costs on Indeed and Facebook and ZipRecruiter and WorkStep. And if you don't spend any money towards that, and don't spend any intentional marketing diligence towards that, you'll always struggle with finding enough employees. And then there's a whole nother thing that I could talk about on actually keeping them and attracting them, and retaining them. But again, we'd be here forever.
1: So that that's the short. That's the short uh, answer. I mean, can you can you give us the the short version of of retention tips as well? <laughs> you don't want me to leave that open loop out there. No. Um, yeah, we got to close that. Yeah. Right.
0: You know, th- the biggest thing is why would someone want to care about your hopes and dreams with your business if you never care about theirs And the big part of that is, you know, when we bring employees in, we ask them literally like, Hey, what are your dreams? What are you looking to accomplish? You know, in in three years time, you know, for you to feel like you, you've won in life and you've accomplished some of your dreams, what would those look like? You know, they tell us they want to buy a house. They want to pay off their truck. They want to go on this epic vacation. They want to propose to their, you know, their spouse or what we do is we sit down with them. There's a really great book called the dream manager by Matthew Kelly. We sit down with them and then we show them how they can accomplish those while they work here with us. And we tie their performance to metrics. We bring in financial advisors and credit score advisors and, you know, family household budget advisors and mortgage advisors and, you know, new homeowner, new homeowner programs. And like we help them accomplish those while they're here. So it's irrelevant what we do. They will always say this is the best company they've ever worked for. And they tell everybody about that business. And then, you know, they they really genuinely, truly feel, feel cared for at the company. And we do, we genuinely care deeply about them leveling up in their life. And it just attracts a different quality of person. And it also brings this attraction cycle into where employees literally line up at your door to come work for you. And that's kind of the, the, the feeling that we have right now. And the feeling that I had with all clean as well, we were very intentional about that side of it.
1: And when you're having those, those kind of early discussions with a potential employee, what are you looking for either in the resume or interview that, that kind of like signals to you, oh, this is going to be a great hire? And I guess the flip side, are there anything that that instantly raises a red flag for you about about somebody in those conversations? Really good question, Alex. Really good question. We have a centering principle that's our core values.
0: So we established very early on, what are our core values of wise coatings? And we have it spelled an acronym BASE. The B stands for Buffalo, which is run towards problems, charge the storm. The A stands for ascend, always be looking at leveling up no matter what you do personally, professionally. The S stands for serving others first. The E stands for efficiency. You know, we work with products that cure super fast. So we have to be like efficient, you know, not just work fast. But we have to be like, every movement has to be very intentional. So in our interviews, we ask how those words strike the feelings of our applicants, and there are people that will say like, "Serve." Uh, I don't know about that. I don't want to be a servant. You know, like they, that turns them off. We know instantly they're going to be a bad culture fit okay, when we ask them about what do they do personally to ascend and to level up. If they have no aspirations, they have no desire to improve their current life state. It's really hard to coach someone like that into bettering their lives and helping them achieve their dreams when they have none. So those are red flags we look for. And we look for those white flags that, you know, are people that are like really aligned on our core values. We have all of our interview questions kind of centered and around those core values. And we look for a good culture fit. It's easy to teach someone how to do the
1: thing. You need to have those soft skills that really matter when you're, you know, talking to people. So this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community. So make sure you go find Upflip on YouTube, join the community, and you can pose questions to future podcast guests. Brandon, we're going to try and get through about six or seven questions in about 90 seconds here. We'll see how we do. But here we go. Alex Acosta has, has two questions, so I'm going to give them to you in, in two different parts. So the first question being, what percentage of the revenue do you pay yourself as the owner? So I actually pay myself a salary that represents close to about
0: 10% of revenue. And then what I will do is take owner's distributions out of any surplus that we have that will account for more than 10%.
1: Alex Acosta's second question is, uh, how do you demand higher prices than your competitors? Perceived value. It has to be a performance art theater
0: in front of customers. And you you have to value stack on stuff to where People won't just look at the price. They'll look at how much value they get with use compared to other people. And
1: that can be perceived value aside from just actual real tangible value. Brian Garnt would like to know what system have you implemented in your business that has been the most impactful? Most impactful has been our marketing systems for sure, because that drives the kind of growth that we're experiencing. At this stage of success, uh, what advice would you give to your teenage self? Get out of the truck as fast as humanly possible, (laughs) get off the tools, (laughs) start working on your business, not in it. What's the worst part about being an entrepreneur?
0: Living in a constant state of being uncomfortable and being comfortable with that. What's the best part? (laughs) It's almost the same answer, but having the gift of being able to choose exactly who your coworkers, partners, and people you
1: surround yourself with on a day-to-day basis is. Last one here. If you could have anyone in this world endorse your business, who would it be and why?
0: Oh man. Elon Musk, uh, although why he would endorse a garage floor coating business, I have no idea,
1: but he's a,
0: he's a huge inspiration to me. And so that would be pretty epic to have someone like that endorse it. Well, I mean, you want to have the floor of your garage look good under the Tesla, right? (laughs) That's right. I want to to I want to coat the floor in, in SpaceX factory that's what I want to do
1: that's going to do it for our fan blitz questions again those come from our YouTube community go over to youtube.com slash upflip join the community and post questions to future guests Brandon a few more questions from me sticking it, sticking it in the tools and systems category. What are you using to schedule your team and manage workflow? So that's that Housecall Pro app that we use. We have all of
0: our trucks dispatched. Our employees, they can't mark a job completed until they go through pre-done checklists, you know, like leaving the yard signs out, getting payment from the customer, literally manage everything in our business. So highly, highly, highly recommend Housecall Pro for that.
1: How do you define effective management and leadership and why is that crucial for a new business? I think that uh, I define effective management leadership
0: as balancing a servant leader with a high performance team mentality. You know, some people get confused that their work is a family. The nature of the employment agreement is temporary. You know, no one's going to stay at your company for 40 years like they used to maybe 40 years ago. So acknowledging that we have a common goal, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to help you level up while you're here and we're all going to win. You know, when you look at Super Bowl teams, you ask anyone on that team, including the janitor, what's your job? And they'll say to win a Super Bowl. And with that type of intention and that team mentality, you know, it requires accountability, requires following the systems. It requires, you know, being a little bit of a stickler when it comes to implementing and, you know, doing what you say you're going to do.
1: So I think effective leaders really balance that well. What's your role in the, in the day-to-day and how many hours a week are you working and what is most of that time spent doing?
0: My role right now is coaching the people on my team. So I have a COO and I have you know, individual partners at each one of our locations that I talk to on a regular basis. I work in the business about, I'd say, probably five hours a week or less currently. And that's really what I spend my time doing. I hire smart people so that they come in and tell me what to do. I don't like to tell people what to do. I want to get a really epic team that comes in and knows things that I don't know. So, you know, really my, my role is, you know, driving new business in on a macro level and then letting the team,
1: you know, do the day to day. want to kind of shift for the next few questions into the, the customer journey for you. And so, so to, to start, uh, where are the most productive sources of new business for you today is that is that most customers contacting you through your website or where are they coming from?
0: It's really a blend like I mentioned earlier you know Facebook is a really great channel for us we do invest in SEO so we get a lot of organic traffic that comes through you know we do have other channels that we have for direct mail, so people will have a little QR code on there that they can scan that takes them to a contact form or we'll have like a tracking phone number or when they call that phone number in our Dunzo app, it'll show where each of those lead sources come from. So we can kind of track those percentages, but mostly it's through digital format that we get most of our customers.
1: Then once you get the customer, what's the what is the information that you need to collect to to write out an accurate quote? Um, And is there anything that someone who is maybe new to the business that they might miss or get wrong about developing those quotes and estimates? You know, I think there's all the standard stuff,
0: you know, name, address, email address, phone number, lead source is really the most important thing that you have to deeply understand to be able to track your marketing efforts. Things where a lot of people fail is, you know, someone will say, Oh, where'd you hear about us? Oh, I I, I saw you online. Oh, awesome. And they were like online is the lead source. <laughs> like you gotta drill down on that stuff. But but secondly, like when it comes to the actual, you know, sales side of things, there's a there's a whole process that kind of is, you know, that, that we follow and a system that we follow to, you know, agitate pain with a customer and to really, you know, kind of show the value that we uh, present to them. But just in that
1: initial contact, really lead source and those types of things are the most important things that we uh, are very critical towards. And then once you, once you kind of get to that step, what are the next things that come once the, once the quotes getting prepared through the the completion of the job? So we will page out quotes to
0: our salespeople, and our service consultants will go out to the customer, uh, do a walk around, and you know we we have a, a four step process: connect, discover, show close. So connecting with the customer, we teach our, our sales consultants, how to do body mirroring, how to understand their disc assessments of their customers by looking and studying kind of who they are, understanding their communication styles and adapting that, you know, you talk to a, you know, a little old lady who's very concerned with, you know, uh, about something different than a fast moving business executives. It's a high D personality and just wants to like get things done. So we teach that part of it, discover asking tons of questions and, you know, agitating pain points of, you know, they've ever hired contractors for in the past. What was the, you know, thing that was most frustrating in the last contractor you dealt with? What's your most frustrating contractor experience? You know, what's one thing you'd want us to do? Uh, one thing you wouldn't want us to do and then really show is the next part of it, showing that perceived value. And then the close part. A lot of business owners, they don't close. They don't ask for the sale. They don't present it. They don't, you know, give financing options to every single customer. All those things make a big difference in your closing ratios. And you can track that percentage and start kind of dialing in, you know, your, your sales pitch. And that's a, a big part of the process too.
1: Does that process change at all between residential versus commercial clients? very little you know the jobs get bigger and the needs change
0: And there may be a little more of a functional need as opposed to an aesthetic need when you get on the commercial side. So there's a little more of a technical specification. Like if you have, you know, a high traffic area and you have to put, you know, sand in with the mixtures and you have to do multiple layers and minimum, you know, mill thicknesses and things, it gets a little bit more technical, but at the end of the day, you're still selling to people and people buy from people they like. And so, you know, having that connect component still applies to those commercial customers.
1: Through all these conversations that your team has had with with customers, and I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with these customers as well, what did what do they want from from their experience with a floor coating company? And how do you maintain that customer satisfaction in your business, especially as you grow? You know what's amazing is have you ever hired like a contractor, Alex, to come work at your house? Um, I haven't. I haven't at my house, but I have when I was uh, at a business I was running.
0: <laughs> so it's like getting people to show up, answer their phones. Do what they say they're going to do. Finish jobs on time. Things do come up and issues happen, but you know they they just want to know that they're going to be taken care of, and it's not going to be hell on earth to try to follow up and get you know fixes and get problems solved. And like that's the biggest reason why we have so many five star reviews is just because you know we we just do what we say we're going to do, and we systemize the heck out of everything so that that way. It's the same experience from customer to customer, no matter who's the employee, no matter who's, you know, the, the team member that comes in. And so, you know, that that's
1: really w- how you get that high level of customer satisfaction is just by being consistent. Yeah. Doing the things you're, you say you're going to do shouldn't be such a competitive advantage, but it sounds like it is. It is it's it's unbelievable. It really is, yeah. Now, I'm I'm sure that you have 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 you had any dissatisfied customers? I'm sure there's been some dissatisfaction. So, how do you handle those those complaints and kind of resolve those issues? Well, there's a mantra
0: that I live by which all conflict is unmet expectations. So if if there's some type of mismatch of expectations of what the salesperson said and the customer said, or your brochure says, and your customer didn't read that part, it's all unmet expectations. So what we really take a look at is we'll always err on the side of saying, did we not set that expectation clearly enough? Could we have done more to really set that expectation by being you know very clear in our transparency? And for the most part... That's really where 90% of the issues come is from a fault on our side. Do you have the ridiculous customers? Of course, there's those humans that exist out there to just like, you know, make everyone's lives around them not super (laughs) enjoyable. They complain about everything. And some of them are, you know, have evil intentions along with that as well. But those are extremely rare. So we don't punish all the good customers by putting all these like nasty stuff in there and require all this crazy stuff to, you know, avoid that 1% of the terrible customer. And we'll oftentimes write off jobs and just kind of go above and beyond to make sure a customer is satisfied and, you know, and just tell them, Hey, we we don't have any customer that we've left completely
1: unsatisfied and we're not going to do that with you. And that really helps disarm people a lot. One thing that has uh, really struck me about the the wise coding story is sort of how much of a grasp you had on the the financial realities of the business from from Go. So can you talk about the importance of financial planning for a small business and and some tips that you might have for for doing it effectively?
0: Yeah, so man, when I first started my my exterior cleaning business, I had never made a budget before no clue how to do it my first guess on what a budget was like my 5 year plan was laughable i mean i wasn't even close to the numbers that i projected and that's how your first budget's going to feel it's going to feel like a total guess it's, you'll be totally wrong, but when you get in the act of actually looking at your PL, your balance sheet, your statement of cash flows on a monthly basis, having a good bookkeeper do your books, then you can really start to identify trends and start seeing percentages. You know, Now it's at the point where I could look at any business's profit and loss and within about two minutes know what their biggest problems are uh, due to certain benchmark percentages in service industries. And so you know, this, you know, when I started wise coding's before we even did our first job, I laid out an entire annual budget with what our monthly sales goals are, our target cogs, our target, you know, fixed expenses, what our target net profit was going to be, what our assets were going to be, and just kind of went into execution plan. Now, two months in, we had to adjust, you know, months three through 12 on the budget sheet, which is to illustrate that budgets are a living, breathing document and you can, you know, you should inform and change, you know, and, and adjust future numbers based on what your performance is. Still go for those aggressive goals and try not to go too easy on yourself, but Push yourself enough to where you can understand how you can hit those numbers and reverse engineer those goals that you have rather than just saying, I'm going to do a million dollars this year. Like how many employees is that? How many jobs is that? How many leads is that? What's your closing ratio? Like reverse engineer it to where
1: you can get that daily activity that's going to get you to that million dollar goal. What is the the next financial goal for wise codings? And and what are you, what are you setting up to? To achieve it?
0: So for us, you know, my, my goal at the beginning of this was to build, um, wise coatings to a hundred million dollar exit. And so, you know, our target is five years for that. So we want to build this up. We want to get hundred locations, uh, nationally, get them all up to seven figure businesses. We you know, are looking for national business partners that want to own a wise coatings location all over the country so that they can work with us and we can deploy all these systems and then we can just help them grow their businesses to that level. Uh, so that that's our next big financial goal is to basically create, you know, a hundred plus millionaires with wise coatings. And it kind of goes along with a really cool quote that I love from Zig, Ziggler, which is you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what it is that they want. So that's that's our next
1: big uh next big hairy audacious goal our BHAG. We're going to try to tackle. What's the biggest challenge you faced in the business so far? And uh, in hindsight, is there anything you could have done differently to avoid it?
0: Yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge that uh, we faced was in that month two when we went through Hell Week, as, as I call it, where everything went wrong, and it was mostly because you know we didn't know what we didn't know, and there's a there's a lot of technical you know things to understand in the floor coatings business that you know is a new endeavor for us. We had never done this before. So in hindsight, I'd say that if if we were to do it all over again, we would have gotten a little bit more, you know, training and coaching and kind of been led along a little bit more and gone to some experts on understanding stuff like know, moisture and what the substrate material is made out of and all the different things can go wrong and mixing issues and humidity and all the stuff that we just didn't know, you know, that, that was a big hiccup. And, you know, on that one job specifically, which unfortunately was really early in our growth, nearly bankrupted us. I mean, we got down to like our last 50 bucks and it was, it was anxiety inducing. I was like, oh my gosh, I have this YouTube channel. Like I'm going to fail on YouTube, like in front of all these people that are watching. (laughs) And so, you know, I talk about very transparently, you know, kind of what we went through and you know, and how I kind of solved those issues with the team and made sure to keep team morale up during that time period. But this is kind of what being an entrepreneur is, you know, you take on greater than average risk for a greater than average reward. And so in order to do that, you can't, you can fail. That's, that's part of it. You are going to face hardships guaranteed. And that's just part of the territory of being comfortable
1: with being uncomfortable. What is one piece of advice that you'd give to someone who wants to start a floor coding business? Come join us at wise (laughs) coatings.
0: I think that that seems like great advice, right? Shameless plug. Um, no, but, uh, you know, seriously, there's, there's a, A lot of stuff that that definitely goes into it, especially on the technical side. You know, you have one job that goes upside down. You know, it's not a oh, we're going to go back and just do a little touch up on something. Usually, it involves grinding the whole floor off and doing it all over again. And the labor and the expenses cost of that, you know, can certainly add up. So definitely be patient with the learning curve in doing it. It does require bigger pieces of equipment, working with products that cure extremely fast. But the other part of it is, is the technical component represents about. 10% of what actually is involved in growing a business. The biggest part is getting leads in constantly because this is not a recurring service. This is a one-time service that you do. So nailing the marketing channels and the marketing systems,
1: I'd say is the the most important component of it all. If you could pick the one thing that, that people are going to take away from this interview, what would it be?
0: That you can grow a business without straight grind, hustle, work 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week. You can be really intentional with... Working on the business and thinking about it like an entity, you know, a business is an asset that you can own much in the way that owning an apartment complex is or a commercial property, you know, be intentional about working on the business, not just in it. And get a team, put systems in place, get your marketing engine going. And, you know, I, I grew wise coding from zero to where it is now legitimately, truly, and honestly working an average of, you know, five hours a week in the business. You know, I have other businesses that I have too. And this was, you know, a project that I specifically worked on. I have a coaching company called conquer, but this is, you know, one that that you can grow. So I I want people to know there's multiple paths to entrepreneurship.
1: What's your favorite
0: business book and why? Oh man, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's my favorite business book because it was the first one I ever read. And I think that it was probably the most powerful book I could have read at that time. I felt like someone was speaking to my soul and was looking in my bedroom windows and you know, he just knew me so well. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about on this interview are core principles that I learned from that book. So highly recommend that one.
1: Brandon, where can people learn more about you and Wise Codings?
0: Well, they can learn more. Uh, they can go to our website, wisecodings.com. If you're interested in you know, being a business partner in this crazy journey, you can go to wisecodingspartners.com. If you own another business and you are just looking for business coaching and a community and a resource and want access to our systems that we that we have. You can go to
1: conquernow.com. So, three three different options for you to go explore. Fantastic. And listeners, we've got a YouTube interview in the works with Brandon as well. So, make sure to keep an eye out for that if you want to hear more about how he grew his business. Um, you can also check out the upflip blog for more actionable tips about starting a successful business. Brandon Vaughn of Wise Codings. Thank you so much for joining us on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It had a blast, man. Appreciate you.